Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Comedy Arcade, part-friendly panel show, part of Vicious Competition, where contestants fight with their best anecdotes on mystery topics generated through a trusty bingo ball. I'm Vince Layton, host of the show, Spirit of the Bingo Balls, and Games Master. Points will be awarded for originality, amusement value, and my general caprice and mood on the day. The contestant with the most points at the end of the game wins, but their opponents will be granted a few cheat codes along the way just to keep it interesting. Welcome to the Comedy Arcade. Thank you so much for joining me and thank you to the listeners for listening. Um, it's like it's like a seance. I don't know they're there, but I believe they are. And that's part of it. I've got a brilliant all-female, all-star panel today. And um, the rumours that I only do this podcast so I can meet comedians that I want to be my friends are um, in no way understated. So we'll start with the brilliant Alice Fraser. How are you? Hello. I'm so well. I'm awake. Uh, I've, I'm <laughs> sitting up straight. What more could you want? Because you are in a different time zone, aren't you? Yes, but when I left the UK, which was only for six weeks back in March 2020, um, I when I left the UK and then I decided I was going to stay in Australia, I, uh, first of all, put all my stuff in storage in London, and second of all, said that I would be available for all UK time zone things, which has led to um, a, a lot of lovely chats with people over Zoom and a lot of 4.30am uh, alarm clocks. Oh my god. Do you miss all of your stuff? Or have you now realised you don't need it, so you might as well just throw it all away? So I was I was brought up Buddhist. So uh, A, I don't really miss my stuff, and B, I, even if I did miss my stuff, I'm not really allowed to miss my stuff. It would be right, okay. ethically incorrect. We'll, we'll ask no more <laughs> questions about that then. Uh, <laughs> my, uh, my next guest, um, I last saw you live at the Funny Women final and um, you were one of my picks to win. And the, the winner was also very good. So if she's listening, 
I also wanted you to win, but um, I genuinely thought you were absolutely fabulous. It's Charlie George. How are you doing? I genuinely thought you were talking about someone else. <laughs> yes, Shazia was in the 2018 Funny Women finals, don't you know? Which, she just which, likes to keep her hands in and then Which you says like, a lot about how I feel about myself, but also the reality that like most, yeah, female comics that I know have done the Funny Women thing at some point. It's so true. I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, it was a really fun night, wasn't it? It was really, really good when we were back out doing stuff in, um, was it Bloomsbury Theatre? It was. It was a really yeah. good night. And I, I, I was remember really... eating a lot of Percy pigs backstage and feeling sick quite early on. <laughs> oh, that is, this is what I need to hear. This is like what the future holds for me. Because I was like brand new at the time as well. And the standard was so high. It was like about 10 gigs in. I was like, why am I doing this? <laughs> I, I can't do that that's too good but oh no well we were disgustingly supportive of each other backstage to be honest we forgot it was a competition we were all just having so much fun and uh, it's kind of like that when you do some of the gigs so I think Shelf, Shelf were on the lineup as well weren't yeah. they and they're, they're amazing and they ran a night called The Lol Word which I love because again it's just like a bunch of women nattering backstage and then we we all gossip about what it's like doing doing normal gigs when there aren't so many women there and we're just alone all, all gigs. <laughs> yeah, i always used to say the reason they don't book more than uh, one woman on a gig is because once we get together we start talking about the rapists <laughs> yeah well that's that's oh basically it that's also so sometimes dark, but like also sometimes we play rounders as well which is something that i think we did backstage at battersea art center so you know yeah outing rapists and playing our own sport that we much more enjoy is great yeah i did a gig the other day where there were more people called wrestle on the bill than there were women so <laughs> and i yeah i started the set by pointing that out which was divisive um to say the least but so um, now it's it was like experiencing what it's like to be on a panel show without actually having to be on a panel show. It was very interesting. Interesting time. And I, I, you do feel like you represent all women then. Because I thought, if these people don't think I'm funny, they're going to think all women aren't funny. And that is not true of the Russells. No, con no consideration would be drawn on Russell as a comedian, as a genre if they both been shit. Russell so. as a genre. Yeah. I'm down for Russell as a genre. I'm thinking now about which Russells you might mean, because there are a few. When you start to string them together, you're like, oh, there are a lot of Russells in comedy. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put this out far enough away that I can't match it back to the... <laughs> uh, Chazia Mirza, a comedy legend. How are you? Hi. <laughs> How's your day been? Oh, it's the, the same as yesterday and the day before and the day before that. Um, I'm just sitting at home getting fat, grey and hairy. That's all I, I've been doing, I mean, sitting on the settee in my pyjamas, fingering myself whilst watching the documentaries on Ted Bundy. That is the I've dream. watched them all. I've watched them all. I've watched all the documentaries. <laughs> Yorkshire, Yorkshire Ripper, uh, Ted Bundy, uh, Boston Strangler. I've done them all, really. And it's strange because it brings me some comfort during this pandemic. It's such a weird thing. It's really odd. I've heard that a few times where people are like, oh, I'm watching like the harsh, the hardest prisons on earth and it's just really comforting right now. And it's like... Because it makes me think, well, I'm alive. Well, it could be worse, couldn't it? It could be worse. Uh... I'm, al I'm alive. And, you know, I'm eating like a horse. Things are going really well. Yeah. My best friend uh, has a genre. We can never watch any television together because he has a genre of, of films that he likes to watch and television shows that he likes to watch that I like to call uh, horrible people doing horrible things to other people. And it's sort of like sad sex workers of the co cocaine underworld or, you know, like, it's so yeah. depressing, I can't. 
I can't bear it. I don't, yeah, I've kind of, I've got a chip missing in me as a woman, I think, because I'm not that interested in serial killers or having kids. So like, I'm not ticking a lot of of, of boxes here for women. But the serial killers thing, I, I see it as education and protection. Definitely. Because, because I see, oh my God, that's how they work. Oh my God, that's him next door. I just know, like, <laughs> these, these are real people. Yeah. These are real men and they could potentially be out there. That's and I feel, I feel like it's an education. It's soothing, I find. It's weirdly soothing. I don't know why, because I've got into true crime as well. So stereotypical, but I do enjoy it. I do think there's something about feeling that I know that like I at least I'm aware of the darkest kind and then that sort of sets me in but the thing is though is it's never I don't know that it does work like that it's probably no. the one who's being really sweet to you and telling you that they're a feminist that you well, really have well, that, that, well that was that was Ted Bundy yeah he was the nicest most good-looking most good-looking lawyer he was a lawyer oh <laughs> yeah and they're very well known for their honesty <laughs> and ethical code um but Shazia, are you abroad sorry I have to ask this because it looks like you're somewhere really sunny are you somewhere are you abroad are you somewhere nice no you just, i mean hack me have you just got oh, a light on it looks I was like, like you look like you're on a veranda yeah. somewhere i was just like oh maybe oh. it's just where you are you look like you're in the under the tuscan sun or something i was like what jealous right not, we're gonna we're, no. we'll cover this off as part of the game because we are doing it as a bit of a speed round so let's go i've got i've got balls and it's a really soothing sound actually Right, so the first category is um, petty grievances. Who's got one? Or you can judge somebody else's petty grievance. Poor, poor scorn on others for being petty. I'm quite a petty person. So I need, basically, this is like therapy for me. I need to hear that other people are as bad as I am. Otherwise, I'll feel like I'm not a good person. My petty grievance is uh, particular kinds of emoji use. And I know that makes me sound like a snob because I am not against the use of paralinguistic cues. Like I think emojis are a beautiful way to add depth uh, to the often flat emotionlessness affect of online speech. But the cr- passive aggressive use of the crying laughing emoji, me- emoji makes me want to claw people's throats out with my hands. <laughs> Is it because you don't believe they're really crying with laughter? It's because it's so snide. There's something about it that's just so... Um, yeah, there's something about it that it carries so much emotional import of like, <laughs> like there's something, such an awful emotional thing. I want you to know that I'm pretending to laugh heaps, but I'm actually not. And I'm doing this in order to make you feel bad. There's something, there's a whole network of of emotional meaning behind the use of the crying laughing emoji that even when people are using it innocently, it makes me angry. Do you ever deploy it yourself? Never. Never. In fact, I once had um, some people helping me promote something and I gave them login codes to my Instagram and Twitter and I saw that one of their people had replied to somebody with a crying laughing emoji and I, I rang the boss. <laughs> <laughs> this is insane. I, I, I said, uh, this is not an emoji that I would ever use. Could you please ask your people to take it down? <laughs> that is Oh, wow. You took action on that, though, and I love it. You didn't just silently see if you... Yeah. I was so angry. <laughs> you took That's next practice. level. But do you use emojis at all, Alice? I use... Um, I, I occasionally use emojis. There's some that I will use because I think they are, as I said, like I think they are a useful addition to the English language, particularly given that we do a lot of online kind of interactions. What, what I think is 
what I think is really weird, I mean, it's okay because you're quite young, but when old men use emojis, I find this so <laughs> fucking bizarre. I've, I've got this, honestly, I've got, I've got this agent and he's about um, 75. And he started sending me business emails. And then at the end, happy face. <laughs> what? I was like, this is just not right. You are, how do you even know that you're, you're not in this? You're out of it, you're past this. <laughs> Smiling. And it was like my accountant, who's about 75, sent me an email with my tax return, what I owed at the end of the year. Then he put smiley face with green squirm coming out of it. That's, that's money coming out of the face, is it not? Or no, or no spewing, no, is it? Pu yeah, it's, it's like a yellow face, green sick. Like, oh my gosh, grown men. You've got, oh, no. And I'm like, you, A, you're an accountant. <laughs> that's two, not good news from an accountant. You are 75 years old. This is a professional email. What's with the happy face, sad face? <laughs> Being sick at the end of also, it. what's the deal with your accounts that they're, they're producing a, a vomit emoji? Like, that's, that's really like, concerning. He must have scrolled through all the faces and thought, which one is appropriate? I've gone for that. Outrageous. <laughs> Time is limited. Time is limited at that age. They should not be using emojis. Yeah, he's wasting his own time there. Be more Alice. Feedback. Say, I don't want to see that. You're, you're being paid for a service. I'm not interested in your opinion on my accounts. I, I feel a lot of shame right now because I use emojis a lot and I really love them and I'm probably really ridiculous with them. Sometimes I'll just communicate fully in emojis. I'm very childlike about it. And actually, I've been doing a lot of like Zoom quizzes with my niece, who's six, because we really miss each other. We're sort of soul twins. And one of the Aww. quizzes that we do is when you do films I realize this is the best bit about quizzes I'm not really into zoom quizzes but in my support of emojis I will say that when you have a round for emojis where you have to guess the film title and it's just in emojis it's a very satisfying round See, that's, that's very just communicating though whereas like a smiley face or a being sick face adds no value to the the sentence or what you're trying to say it's like putting a smiley face at the end of a rude email to try and lighten the load. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The passive-aggressive yeah, smiley face. No worries if not, but I will worry if not, and it's on you, yeah. Sorry if you missed this email. I think the core <laughs> of the issue is the appropriate usage. If you're using it to convey meaning, if you're using it in a natural way, if you're using it, like, you know, properly, rather than passive-aggressively or... or um, <laughs> weirdly Did you pick up passive aggression in your time in the UK, Alice? Is that something that you came with or did you learn it with us? Because we, we're not very honest people emotionally. <laughs> Look, I I'm am... feeling very seen right now because I'm quite <laughs> passive aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> I am not. Um, so this is my, my problem is I tend to take people at face value, maybe a little bit too much. Um, so if someone goes, no, it's fine. I'm like, excellent. I'm so glad. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, that's not what that means at all. Sometimes that means it's not fine. Yeah, yeah. But if, 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 if you want me to know it. that it's not fine, then you need to tell me it's not fine because otherwise I'm going to assume it's fine. Okay, good to, good to know, good to know. Yeah. I've become more assertive recently, but I worry I've gone too far the other way because <laughs> I used to be quite a pushover. And so to counterbalance that, I think now I take too hard a line and people don't really know what to do with it. I think they, have, they think I'm having some kind of crisis. But maybe I am. 
Who is Both things can be true at the same time. So that was petty grievances. On we go. <laughs> okay. Okay, we have teenage behaviour. Oh dear. There's, <laughs> there's so much to choose from on teenage behaviour. But I, I oh this this is really embarrassing and I do feel deep shame. But I was actually on a Zoom interview for a job recently, which is like a normal interview, but like worse and more painful. Oh, because so much no fun. no interview have you ever thought, I wish I could see my own face as I'm answering these questions. Um and they asked me, like, had I ever interviewed people before? Because there would be some kind of recruitment involved. And, like, so they wanted an example of when I'd, like, searched for a candidate for something. And I panicked and I didn't really have anything. And I, I started thinking about when we used to, outside the local Londis in Swindon, try and assess the right type of adult to buy us alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Not interview it, appropriate as a, yeah. Not interview appropriate. That? It wouldn't be the first time that I've had a breakdown in an interview and started talking about netball when they asked me about teamwork. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I do this, I do this. But no, but we had a really strong selection process where essentially we'd have to find the right type of person who looked um, just, who looked immoral enough, like the type of person that would, would be okay with buying children booze. And so we kind of needed someone who was on the edge, but not too edgy, you know, not that they were yeah. going to take your money and then maybe buy the two bottles of cider and then drive off drinking them. Like, so you had to find someone in the right kind of, right kind of level. And it was a big game that we played trying to find the right kind of person. And we landed on um, like a middle-aged woman because men can be a bit pervy. So that would be dangerous because we were in our school uniform, obviously sat on the wall surveying them. So we went for divorcee who's kind of given up buying bottles of wine anyway. And then we try and connect with her on a level as if, you know, we were her younger selves. Oh, Get yeah. her to give us a bottle of wine and then she'd become our hero. This is such a well thought out strategy for getting booze. Like you deserved it. Like if you approached <laughs> me with that marketing strategy, I'd buy you booze as a 36 year old person. If I met you, maybe 13's a bit young, but I, I would certainly admire the- What about 15? I think 15, you know, that's around the time that in an, in another culture more sophisticated than our own, we might have had a glass of wine at the table. We just yeah. wanted a whole bottle of cider in the park. That's what we wanted. Yeah, and you didn't know because you hadn't experienced all the drinks that you might have wanted a nice glass of wine because no one allowed us to try. So No, but we did get Blossom Hill off a divorcee. So, you know, it, the strategy worked. Okay, so that's presumably not the anecdote you gave the interviewer. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get the job? No, no. It was like an online, like, uh, admin, like, recruitment type thing. So, no, no, I didn't get the job. But to be honest, I don't think I really wanted the job. Like, this you'd, is a thing. Yeah. You'd be suited to PR, because that's my actual job that, that pays money. Is that what uh, you do? What yeah. does PR do? I don't oh, just suggest things to people and make them think they thought of it at an evil level. But I don't typically do that. I do, like, personal finance stuff, which is thrilling and I love it for anybody listening who yeah I don't think I'm suited to recruitment unless you want me to find someone who will buy you alcohol and you're underage I, don't I feel like there's a market for that but there's not a lot of money in it no, but you're not. pursuing comedy so maybe money's not your end game um anyway <laughs> anybody oh, else so any what, what what were you like like as a teenager Shazia what was your vibe oh I was fucking awful I my parents I hated them and I was always running away from home. Um, I was always um, escaping through the windows at midnight. 
um, and I used to do things like I, I watched the Dukes of Hazard, and I saw that um, they would escape places and use pillows in the shape of a body and leave that oh, yeah. and leave that in a bed. So, so I did that. I got some pillows in the shape of a body and I escaped through the window so that if my parents came in, it would look like I'm asleep. And I would run off to nightclubs um, and um, then just escape back in. I was always running away from home. I was so naughty. My parents were always getting called up to the school. I was always in detention. I was horrific. It was so bad that my parents sent me to a Roman Catholic school to discipline me. I'm, I'm Muslim. And they sent me... They sent me to a Roman Catholic primary school called Our Lady of Fatima. And okay. where I was the only brown girl in the entire school. And I used to have to take Holy Communion and go to mass every day. And I absolutely, I, I fucking loved it. I absolutely loved it. Did I loved you? it. They were drinking wine and having bread. And I was going up there doing things which I were not meant to do. And they used to play <laughs> the guitar and sing hymns. And all my friends were Irish um, and Catholic. And they used to have the most bestest parties. And they used to invite me and I loved it. I loved their culture and I love I loved Catholicism that's so cool did you have nuns did you have nuns at your school yeah, because I've always wanted to be taught by nuns my friend always talks about and it. also the headmaster was a retired corporal army officer and he was Ooh, really amazing. really strict it was so strict that and my parents sent me there because I was so naughty and I think it did me really good actually the discipline I think it really did me good. And actually, I loved Catholicism more than Islam, but I wasn't allowed to tell anybody because, <laughs> because I, didn't, I didn't want to get into serious trouble. <laughs> it was, it, honestly, it was really, uh, it was really, when I look back at it, I think it was really unusual for that to happen. And I was in Birmingham, a Roman Catholic school in Birmingham. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> wow so it put you it put you back on the straight and narrow it, then, it did sneaking out it did. <laughs> honestly that's when I, I started giving to charity instead of stealing I used to, I was a terrible I was a terrible child because I used to steal a lot um when the kids were in class I would go through their bags and steal and steal their packed lunches wow. I, I was a just for the just for the thrill of it or just because no, your lunch I actually I actually the... ate it I actually ate it all uh, because I felt oh. that my mom made shit sandwiches. And so uh, they had, the English girls had better lunches. So I stole them and ate them. So I actually, after going to Roman Catholic school, I realized how awful I was as a person, as a child. And I got better. I started, st I stopped stealing. Um, and I started uh, forgiving people and not telling lies and, and being a better child. And I think I became a better adult because of that. Wow, ah, that's, that's so amazing. cool. <laughs> what were you like as a teenager, Alice? I was uh, upsettingly well behaved uh, as a teenager. <laughs> I was, um, well, look, not exactly. I didn't really do any uh, work in school I would just read novels under the desk but I kept my head down and I never 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 got in trouble ever 
um, because my mum was sick, so I was looking after her at home, so I didn't want to rock the boat. So all of my rebellions were internal. Um, and uh, I had a very miserable time at high school. I was badly bullied and I had no friends uh, because I was undeniably a very weird kid. <laughs> that worked out okay, all that internalised trauma. Now you're an excellent <laughs> comedian. Sometimes That's the cliches are true. I think I need to go to Catholic school and be straightened out, to be honest. <laughs> I like, like hearing your story, that does make me think that. I yeah. think it might be too late for you, Charlie. I don't know your exact age, steal from but... Tesco. Um, but yeah. Unless you were going back to be a teacher. Uh, let's do a 21 Jump Street scenario and send you back to high school as a nun. <gasps> yeah. Or never been kissed, a slightly more light-hearted one. <laughs> Well, I say lighthearted, but that story was all about how an adult posing as a teenager, a child, seduced a teacher, which is harrowing, if you put it that way. Yeah, deeply upsetting. None, no movies in the 90s were okay. None. Yeah, no, you look at any of them and they're proper dodged. I don't want to watch any of them in case they're ruined for me. People are like, I can't even watch Mean Girls. I'm like, I'm sure there's some really problematic stuff in there that I don't need to see. But um, anyway, the ball, the ball continues. <laughs> Okay. Um, unpopular opinions. I mean, we've covered one already about emoji use, but... I have a whole podcast called Tea with Alice where I ask people to come on and talk about uh, difficult ideas. Um, <laughs> difficult ideas. That's another way of articulating it. Well, it's not so much, yeah, just things that they're not sure about or they feel uncertain about because I think there's too many people in the world who are too certain of themselves. And maybe that's a slightly that unpopular is opinion is, is that... I think even if you're right, you shouldn't be as smug about it as you probably are. I think reserving space for uncertainty is very very important. I don't know. I think that would be very popular, but I don't think anybody would want to talk about it. Like, I think it's a it's a, a secret popular opinion that you have when you see people and they're like, yeah, genuinely, I am who I am. Take take me or leave me. I'm like, well, I know what I'm gonna do. It's it's a leave for me, but um, I respect that energy. I don't know if the thing that I have is an unpopular opinion. And then I get quite anxious because I think, oh, maybe I do have too many popular opinions. And I try to mainstream like, Charlie. Think critically. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, no, no, people definitely think I'm weird. Like, I like stuff like due process. Like, I don't think we should just get rid of someone um, if they're bad. Like, what I'm saying is I still really want to listen to the Smiths even though Morris is bad, <laughs> but I promise not to enjoy them. Like stuff like that, you know, um, like, because it's really tricky, isn't it? Where like you become so moralistic that you have to completely discard someone. So I think that art and artist thing still gets me because I can still really appreciate the beauty of a film or see something in the context of its time and like that. And I feel like I'm kind of supposed to just completely cut away things that are negative. But then I feel like, oh, I'd probably just have to get rid of loads of my own family and like myself and everyone yeah. if I started doing that. So yeah, I feel like we can kind of need like some kind of app that you would scan and that would tell you what percentage something is bad. <laughs> and then we could decide <laughs> whether or not. Of, yeah, like. <laughs> Yeah, like you'd hold it out like that Shazam thing where it tells you the name of the song, but this would tell me like how socially acceptable this thing is and then I can make an informed choice, you know, like do, do I want to participate? But it shouldn't be to do with socially acceptable, but I think it's like, yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because if Michael Jackson comes on the dance floor, do you run away because of what we now know? Or do you, you know, is it, is yeah. it Jackson 5? Is it okay? You know? 
it, yeah, it's it, you're exactly right and I think you, I do notice that and you do see that a lot on Twitter people who are looking to find fault in things like Greece was on the other day and a lot of people had a lot of opinions about the film Greece and it is of its time and it's a bit of a time capsule and you kind of have to take it in the spirit it's intended no one's going to make you watch it but we can't go back 20 years and have it refilmed. what were people so... upset about the quiffs or the <laughs> just there are, there are loads of problematic behavior yeah. in it if you want to look for it but it's just like who's got the energy to be angry about something that was filmed so long ago like enjoy it don't watch it I don't need to hear about it Go on, Alice. Go on, Alice. So I have two. I have two things to say about this. Uh, the first one is there's a really nice bit in uh, Jonathan Haidt essay, H-A-I-D-T, um, about the idea that we in the, in the modern world we tend to think of reading or absorbing art as bringing it into ourselves, and therefore the idea that if it's bad or if it's associated with badness, then it sort of pollutes us. If it has bad ideas in us, then we get we get polluted. Whereas maybe a more useful way to approach it would be to think of yourself as traveling into the book, like a time traveler or in, into the movie. And then you can go there and you can observe it and you'd be like, oh, that's interesting. That's, I don't agree with that. I think that's stupid. I think that's ugly. And then you extract yourself, but you're not in some way that the modern discussion about art is as though we are being polluted or toxified by contact with it, which I, is not my experience of art, actually. That's not how I feel when I come across a book where you know you get three paragraphs in and all of a sudden they're they're like oh the nasty Jew and you're like you know like you can you can go okay I see where that's coming from and I don't it's giving you more autonomy isn't it as the person traveling through right like you have an autonomous choice of like how you're engaging like you are just viewing it kind of like walking around a gallery like you're saying instead of feeling that by association you've somehow got a connection to that thing directly like yeah, yeah reading robinson nice crusoe thing. doesn't make me racist like <laughs> yeah yeah totally um, that's such an enlightened good way of um of thinking about stuff i i i feel like i'm better for that information alice so thanks thanks for sharing it right i think we've got time we've got time for like one more category now okay we're going to talk about travel and I know Shazzy's got stories about travel because I watched some of Bear Grylls' islands. Oh, God, yes. Bear Grylls. I saw- Were so- you on Bear Grylls? Did you do a show with Bear Grylls? Did he That's drink amazing. your urine? Yeah. Um, no, but we were starving to death on a desert island for a month. That's what he did. He just literally that. He, That's what he did. He dropped us off, <laughs> ten of us on on That's an insane. island for ten for a, for a month, with no food, no clothes apart from the clothes we were wearing, no mobile phone, no no computer, nothing. We had nothing, and we had to survive for a month. Half the people didn't survive, obviously. Um, but it was fine. They they didn't, they didn't die. This was on die. television. No, they didn't die. <laughs> they, to be clear, they just didn't. Out the month. They, okay, they went home. They went home. They called. We had home a to God's arms. We had. <laughs> Stop it. Well, we had. Um, uh, we had on the neighbouring island um, these um, army officers that, if we got into trouble or if you wanted to leave, they would come and rescue us. Um, but then we had a terrible time. There was tsunamis. I got um, attacked by a stingray. There was uh, tsunamis, there was uh, thunder, we had hypothermia, we were getting bitten by sandflies and mosquitoes every day. It was horrific. And we all lost two stone. 
Um, and there was five men and five women. And in the end, what survived was four women and two men. And Bear Grylls always says this, that women are better survivors than men because um, that's what we've had to do in our life uh, to survive, you know, sexism, um, bigotry, um, uh, periods, childbirth. We've always had to face pain and obstacles and we've had no choice but to get on with it. So when women are in a survival situation, they naturally just get on with it and they survive better than men. And that's what we, that's what we women did. We just got on with it. And it was difficult, but we just got on with it. Whereas the men sat around and they were really let it affect them mentally and physically. They were crying. They wanted to go home. Um, they just found it really hard. And, and a survival situation, we're in a pandemic, it's the same thing, is mind over matter because we have enough food we have enough drink we know we're going to survive physically the rest of it is mind over matter and it's keeping busy seeing the visualizing the end result visualizing the end of something you're going to get through this and that's what we did as women we we, we it was we had we had very strong minds about it and that's why I think we survived. I, I survived because I kept myself busy. I gave myself a job, uh, which was fishing. And I'd never fished in my life, never caught a fish in my life. But on the island, I caught over 200 fish. That's insane. But that was, amazing. I, get, I gave myself a task to do. This is what I'm, I'm a good swimmer. So I loved being in the sea. Um, and I just thought, right, I'm going to make this my job. I'm going to catch fish. I'm going to try and catch fish. And if you do something for long enough, you will get good at it, um, which is why I'm still in comedy. And the thing is, <laughs> the thing is, I gave myself that job, a job about the fish, and I thought I'm going to do it. And I was terrible in the beginning. It was we were starving. We never ate for seven days. We didn't have anything. But then, oh God, did you just catch them with your bare hands? I I built a net. I built a net so cool. in the sea. It's the most badass I thing. built a net in the sea and locked it down with rocks so that it wouldn't move with the ocean. And I would put bits of paper that we went foraging on the beach. I'd found bits of foil. And I know that fish are attracted to shiny things. So I put the foil in the net, which attracted the fish, and then the fish would get stuck in the net. So when I'd wake up in the morning and I'd swim out to sea, there'd be loads of these fish in the net and I'd pull them out and we'd eat them for breakfast. And I, oh it, it was gosh. really bad. And after that horrific experience, and it was horrific, but it was life-changing because when you come close to death in any way, uh, or you see death or you've experienced some awful thing, it can only um, give you kind of a, a zest for life that you have things to live for and survive anything. Oh my God, I can get through this. And you came back and still continued to pursue comedy. I did. I came back. Knowing all of that. But I knew <laughs> after that I could probably get through anything in my life. That's so cool. But Were there any moments of like proper levity or were you so oh yeah. ill and happy oh that yeah. you got past I, I, I slipped on some algae and I, I cracked my head on, on some rocks and the paramedics flew in and I, I lost consciousness and I... I, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't. I didn't know where I was. 
And then I came round and I felt really ill. And then I was, and then a, a few days later, I was attacked by a stingray. And and then we were all of us had hypothermia. I mean, it was so awful. They paid you for but this. But they paid so it. Not this enough. is inappropriate. It was Channel Four. Because this is it was for Channel Four. Not enough. So you they, know it's they not put enough. this on television. Like <laughs> this is insane. Like what your sounds like is happening but, to you. Jo but really like insane. Josie Long, who did the series before, told me to do it because she said to me, it's a life-changing experience. And okay. it is, but it's any life-changing experience is not good. It's horrific. And that's yeah, why it's life-changing because it has an awful impact on you that you never forget. And Josie said to me, it's awful, I'm warning you, but you, ha you, you have to do it. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity, you have to do it. And I was prepared that, and so I, I, I was prepared for it being awful, but you don't know how awful it is to you living through it. It's like when people no. tell you about a pandemic and you go, yeah, that sounds awful. And then you're living through it. It's different. Well, I'm going to take your word for it because <laughs> I cannot imagine I can't imagine getting on a plane knowing that that was what was on the other end for me. But anyway, any more fun stuff about travel? I mean, no one's had that experience. That was in so Panama. Really hard that, story. That was to in talk. Panama. That's where you were in Panama. Now I feel like they should. Do, all I feel like I, none of my travel experiences are worth sharing at all. But <laughs> I just feel they should change that saying about uh, give a man a fish, and they should make it give Shazia, give Shazia a, a net. <laughs> 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 and then that's how you get your fish. And she will yeah. feed a whole island yeah. of uh, stars and celebrities. Resilient. <laughs> Such resilience. Alice, you must do a fair bit of travel prior to lockdown. Yes, prior Did to you... the pandemic, I was yeah. always going uh, one place or another. So it's been very strange to be in a place for a whole year and looks like probably another year to come. Uh, although I do have a, a tour booked in the UK in November of this year and they keep tweeting about it once a week they tweet about it and I feel like like it's very optimistic yeah I feel like should I retweet this or is that just or should I just like if I, I don't know if November is is going to be travelable I mean it is still take it's still illegal for me to leave the country um, to leave Australia without special permission. There are still 40,000 Australians around the world trying to get home as well. So even if I could leave, uh, getting back would be an issue. So um, big questions to face, I think. Well, we want you back. So, I would um... love to come back. I would love to come back. That's the goal. That's the plan. Cool. Well, we have reached the end. Um, so while I tot up the, it's really basic maths, but it takes me a surprisingly long time. Um, let's go around and find out where we can see everybody. So we'll start with you, Alice. Where can we find you? What are you making in lockdown that we can see? Well, uh, I have a special on Amazon Prime called Savage. I have a weekly podcast called The Gargle coming out under the umbrella of The Bugle Podcast. If you're a listener to The Bugle Podcast, it'll be a weekly oh, cool. satirical news show that has nothing to do with politics. Uh, because I never want to write another Trump joke. And I also have a weekly podcast <laughs> called Tea with Alice, where I talk about difficult ideas with interesting people. Cool. Charlie, what are you up to? Not recruitment? Uh... No, not recruitment. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> no, I've managed to find some other temporary work. I have a podcast on Audible with an anthropologist, Mariano Hotter, that's really fun, uh, where we talk to different scientists and we try stuff out. 
and experts and we try it out and see if it can help us improve our lives so well-being podcast on audible uh, called happiness and how to get it and coming up soon i'm going to do an online show as part of the amazing Catherine bohart's gig fest which people can buy tickets for online so i'll just be doing like a split bill like 20 minutes and chelsea where can we find you you can find me in your house in my house <laughs> getting fat and gray and hairy um, <laughs> I'm on tour. I've been I've been trying to be on tour since March 2020 and it keeps getting delayed and delayed. But apparently I will be on tour sometime this year. I'm doing Sarah Millican's show um, next month, uh, Comedy Playground, trying out new material. And um, and that's it. Thanks. Well, thank you all for playing. Shazzy, you had to be the winner. Oh, so no. sorry. You, <laughs> you learned well, you to fish and fed an island. So um, as soon as, yeah, you're an absolute warrior. So oh, I won't thank fight you. that. Thank you. It's a worthy win. I think we, we yeah, would all agree. But yeah. it was, yeah, it was, um, this has been an absolute joy. You never know how these are going to go because um, the panel's different every time, but I've had such a lovely time. And I've also learned things, which is um, rare. <laughs> 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 So thank you so much for coming. You are now absolutely free to go. And thank you to the listeners for listening. Thanks for listening to The Comedy Arcade. There'll be a new episode next Thursday with new balls and new guests. If you liked it, like us any way you can and subscribe and tell all your friends. Also, tell us. We're in all the usual places on all the social media. And if you didn't, this is Women Talking Bollocks. Maureen, where are you going? Hello, Comedy Arcade listeners. I'm Barry McStay. I'm Ben Vanderveld. And we'd love you to listen to Worst Foot Forward, our podcast all about failure. Each week we are joined by a guest to discuss the world's worst something. From detective to invasion, train to horror movie, we dive into humankind's darkest depths in search of the absolute pits. Many Comedy Arcade guests have appeared on our show, with the likes of Suze Kempner crooning about the world's worst divas, Tierna Duyeb holding a placard at the world's worst political protest, and John Luke Roberts telling us definitively the world's worst joke. On Worst Foot Forward, we've learned that conspiracy theorists think rocks aren't really hard, why one French physicist invaded the Channel Island of Sark, and how exactly to make a wasp gun. While also uncovering the railway station of the dead, the doctor who put goat balls into human scrotums, and the musical funded by bird poo. Subscribe to Worst Foot Forward on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Check out our website, worstfootforwardpodcast.com, and join us for some fun-filled zero worship. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.